changed in the process. You inspire so many people with the show. You have a good karma. Good karma? I think so. Well... As we're getting ready to start, I realized I forgot my water. That's wonderful. That's how it's going to go today, people. Anyways, welcome to Satanists on Cinema. We're your hosts, Satanist Cameron John and Reverend Campbell. Satanists on Cinema is a film review and commentary series that travels the world, leaving our shitty American culture on everyone's doorstep, even if they don't have a door. But at least we have the decency to photograph every moment of the experience in Hawaiian shirts, Bermuda shorts, and flip-flops. Being sure to try local cuisine that we immediately spit up as loudly as possible. Ending up going to KFC or McDonald's, you know, to try to blend in. Welcome to our review of Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was a tough one for me to watch. It was... I. I didn't cry. I will say really? that much. I was bastard. Very fucking surprised because I cry over everything. Yeah. Only thing I could think the whole time is like, I get it. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be rough because I don't know how long this episode is actually gonna be because it's not like a plot of a mm. movie. You know, it's like it's sort of like the, this guy's trajectory. Mm -hmm. So that, that's going to make it a little bit challenging. Um, first of all, our hummingbird nest. Welcome to the Ninth Circle. Fucking A. Seeing that name out there. That's pretty <laughs> cool. Horatio, how you doing? Good to see you. Dog, what up? Dog is the only person out there who is reliably giving us suggestions <laughs> for films that, to our shame, we're ignoring. <laughs> okay, so I saw, I finally watched the episode from yesterday because I was on a ride, so I couldn't listen to it. Yeah. And I fucking agree. That is a travesty that we have not done the Grindhouse films yet. I know, they're so good. They're so good. All right, so uh, for those of you who don't know this, surprise, surprise, Anthony Bourdain actually died by suicide in June mm -hmm. of 2018. So this documentary was actually started in its preparatory phase almost a year and a half, two years after his passing, uh, just mm -hmm. to sort of put everything in line here. Here's the log line. A documentary about Anthony Bourdain and his career as a chef, writer, and host, revered and renowned for his authentic approach to food, culture, and travel. And this is a 2021 American documentary film directed and produced by the Academy Award-winning Morgan Nev Neville. I was going to say Neville, but it's not a Dalmatian thing. Deville. It could be. That's true. It could. How you doing, Fidel? Thanks for joining. What's up, Sapphire Rose? Great name. All right, so this was released June 11th, 2021 in Tribeca Film Festival, and then July 16th, 2021 in the United States. It is streaming right now on, well, not streaming, but you can rent it on, I think, nearly every online streaming platform. It is kind of expensive, but personally... It's fucking worth it. Worth it. it. Yeah, thought it was worth like, it. Like, especially if you're like us and we rented everything during like the first initial wave of the pandemic when we yeah. couldn't leave our homes like $20 for this I felt was perfect I would pay it again to see it it's less than I would just <laughs> take me and my wife to the movies so right yeah this is something I'd go see in theaters so, yeah. so. Um, Zachary how you doing we need to find out is there a is there a streaming service that offers cannibal holocaust that we could do like a group watch um, I don't think so. <laughs> I think, um, um, all well, decency of Earth would deny that. No, no, no. <laughs> Shudder's got a bunch of shit like that, like Hannibal Ferox and uh, a couple other really fun ones. But I don't know if they have Cannibal Holocaust. Okay. Actually, they might. Oh, really? I think that was one of the Joe Bob movies. Well, yeah, that's the that's where I first saw it. It was a Joe Bob. Wait, that's no, where you first saw that's it? not true. I saw it before the Joe Bob. Okay. But only by, like, a flick of the remote to see that he already did it. Gotcha. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm very new to that show, and I was very disappointed. But that's it not is... what this is about. We're going to yeah, end up no, talking no. about that the whole time. <laughs> we should talk about Joe Bob is what we should do. We fucking should. He's a damn that's, hero. That's a couple episodes right yeah. there. Um, 
so I watched this a couple days ago, had time to process and enough time to kind of forget some of the story beats. And so I went back to some reviews and read through those. And so I have some notes that give as good of a sort of plot, linear plot line that the movie offers. But mm -hmm. really, if you just want to take a sort of a, a, a high level approach to this, this is the story of Anthony Bourdain when he was first discovered as a writer and then propelled into television and him ultimately trying to process where happiness is supposed to lie in this fame when he doesn't feel like he deserves anything mm -hmm. at all. So this is someone who has been clearly struggling with depression uh, for the majority of his life and, and just sadly to say in the final years of his life, they were defined by his tumultuous relationship with Asia Argento, the Italian mm -hmm. actor and filmmaker. Um, and ultimately in the film, Argento is portrayed as a human intoxicant with whom Bourdain mm -hmm. developed an all-consuming infatuation. His former colleagues and friends recall the disastrous filming of an episode in which, um, in Hong Kong in which Bourdain installed Argento as the director. And they describe how she influenced his decision to abruptly sack a longtime colleague and his devastation when she began to tire of his attentions and romantically pull away from him. So she she was at that pivotal moment, at least from a viewer's perspective, mm -hmm. when he changed from being someone who um, was clearly struggling but capable of keeping his head above water to mm -hmm. no longer giving a fuck. Yeah. Like, just from the outside, that's what I was watching. Was oh, weird. yeah. Well, and it... The way it's edited together, like he and they straight up say it in the film, uh, he was like a teenager in love for the first time, mm -hmm. and that's 100% how it was portrayed in the, the film. That's why I avoid like love, that's it. why I got married. <laughs> I mean, you, you did it the smart way, so you don't have to worry about love, it's just all a yeah. practical thing. Kidding, so, baby, one thing you. about this, like that, when um, Asia Argento first popped up. It completely took at, took me out of the movie because I mean, of course, I knew that was you know who he was with prior to his death, but I never realized just how much she looked like her dad, and that's all I could fucking see oh, really? the rest of the film. Yeah, yeah, no, she's Dude. like, there's no denying the lineage. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Uh, Samara, thanks for joining. Good to see you. Uh, what's up, Jameson? So. Yeah, I, I was thinking of the connection sort of in the back of my head because I don't I don't recall if I paid any attention to that while I was actively watching all of his different shows. Mm -hmm. So it was just it was like out of nowhere. I knew he jumped from marriage to mm -hmm. um, another woman, and I thought they got married, but I thought that was it. I didn't know there was a third. Mm -hmm. But when I saw him on, and it showed a clip of this in the the film. When I saw him on um, Trevor Noah's show, I was like, wow, he looks rough. Like, he's, mm -hmm. and, you know, he was going like a little too hard on the Me Too movement for a man. I thought, I get why women would go hard on it. Mm -hmm. But he's, I don't know. It, it felt, it feels, it always feels odd when a dude's like, I'm an ally. So I have to, I have to fight the fight, you know? Like, do it through your actions. Don't say it because then you mm -hmm. look like a douche. And for having right. someone that I respected so much as this sort of rebellious voice in truth telling of experience to then become an ally like that, a vocal ally, because I like to consider myself an ally. It's mm -hmm. just women don't want me to be one because mm -hmm. I'm gross. But if I wasn't, <laughs> I would consider myself an ally. And, you know, to be honest, it bums me out when I see another one of me. I'm like, ew, ew, you're gross, There's too. enough of us, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Get your own thing, man. Get out. No, it, it felt really weird. It felt really forced, and you could tell it was because of Argento, not because of him. Like, this was all an advocate, you know, fury that he was putting out there. Yeah. And that's that's just not, I don't know. It was It was weird. I didn't like it at all. It bugged me. What do you think about it? Do you hate women too? <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're going to get shut down. All of them. Uh, I'm just kidding. Okay, so um, 
some of the narrative little bits here, uh, the very beginning of this all started out with a quote from Bourdain saying, you're probably going to find that about this anyway. So here's a little preemptive truth telling. There's no happy ending to the story. Yeah. And sweet hell. Was there right? I almost started crying right then and there. It's like, geez, no, can't do this to me right now. I'm not even like 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah. But you <laughs> held out, damn it. So I was, I was, I was watching it and about halfway through, I started like connecting with how they were portraying his mind. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, it was all just like ugly crying, trying my best to see through. <laughs> I didn't have any windshield wipers for my eyeballs. So I, it was just tough. Mm -hmm. It was so hard for me. It was, it was, and this is the director who did the, um, the, uh, Mr. Rogers neighborhood documentary, which also made me ball like a little baby. <laughs> so I think maybe he just has my number. Like <laughs> that might be it. He's that just a bastard he's messing with me or something. Um, so Roadrunner picks up the documentary picks up with Bourdain, uh, his life as a public figure in 1999. He's this 43 year old undecorated cook and aspiring writer and his big break was this New Yorker essay called Don't Eat Before Reading This. And it was picked up and made into Kitchen Confidential, which became this breakout hit of a novel. I don't know if it's a novel, but it's a, like a, 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 a cook's view of the restaurant industry, which was like more revealing than any cook or restaurant owner wants their cook to be. <laughs> yeah. Which was a pretty awesome, I thought. And then um, from there, it's just showing archival footage of him when he was a cook, when he first started writing. And then it, you know, it has the original showrunners um, uh, talking about how they approached him to do a TV spot, like a, mm -hmm. a TV, like a miniseries or something. And the struggles that he had in those early days of trying to figure out what his voice was as a personality and where the line begins and ends with him doing a show or him becoming the show. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting line. What were some of the things that struck you as interesting when you were watching this? Just the fucking turn. Like you could see almost every shot of him in this film yeah. is just like the inner turmoil just reads on his face so heavily. And like, that's, <laughs> that's what I kept clinging to. Like, Jesus Christ, this dude's fucked. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously we know what happens, but yeah, but yeah, like, like that... even that young, he's like, oh, I think I'm happy. This is kind of cool. What do I do now? Yeah, I mean, like that's what drew me to him, right? As, mm -hmm. Like I was in college, and this was um, 2002, I think. Uh, I was in college, and my, one of my college buddies was like, hey have you seen um, No Reservations before? Because we're always talking about art and artists and stuff mm -hmm. and, and sort of, you know, old school writers and voices. I was like, no, I never heard of it. What is it? And he explained it. And I went to the library and picked up some cop, like some like DVDs or something. Mm -hmm. I'm going off memory here because this was a very long time ago. <laughs> uh, and I watched him and we, my wife and I just sort of became obsessed with him and, and mm -hmm. his show. And then I just followed him every new show that he put out. Once he stopped one, he would pick up another. Then CNN picked him up and he mm -hmm. did a few shows with them. So I was just sort of obsessed watching reruns after reruns and trying to catch live shows when, or, well, you know, when they were originally released. Yeah. Um, and That's what, pretty much the reason I had cable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reason why he was good is because he, not only the, the, the way he wrote was very creative and original. He had this really distinct voice and perspective, but it wasn't just a food show, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. he was, he was commenting on culture and world events at times that were actively happening while he was yeah. trying to shoot, which was some of the most amazing stuff. And oh, so yeah. it bridged this weird gap between reporter, cultural commentator and food critic almost. Mm-hmm. And, and it was always wonderful because you knew when he hated what he ate, which rarely ever happened because he did have this very eclectic taste, mm -hmm. but like he would just, he wouldn't be able to hide it. You know, he would get this look and you're just like, okay, well, that, <laughs> maybe yeah. that pig's asshole wasn't the good choice to eat in the bush <laughs> without <laughs> cooking it. Right. Maybe cooked would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. I prefer my pig's asshole cooked. 
but that's just a little me. bit of hot sauce. I'm American, so what do I know? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of hot sauce. Um, I don't know, and and I don't really know how to like because there's not a a singular narrative that we can follow because it's bouncing mm-hmm. between his friends recalling moments and memories about him and their original perspectives of who and what he was mm-hmm. and contrasting that with archival footage of the shows or edits of the show that just landed on the floor. They didn't make it into any series or anything. And you get this overarching tone of who he was. Um, and it was, it was pretty close to who he portrayed himself in this show because he didn't seem very happy when he was mm-hmm. doing the show. At, at, nope. And it, it showed these like little sort of snippets, like, there was one where he was on a boat scene and he was like, said something about hanging himself and then it just mm-hmm. cut. And I was like, I swear I've heard him make mention about offing himself or it's not such a bad thing if he was gone or something like that throughout mm-hmm. the entire series. Like, yeah, I don't know. If yeah. This almost is like, every show. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I can't tell if that's just my memory inserting that because it feels like that's something that should happen or if I did actually remember that. Mm-hmm. But that's part of what connected me to him because, you know, you and I suffer from our own, um, you know, various degrees of, of mental issues that we're, we go through on a day to day. And so we can totally connect with other people on that level alone, at least, you know, because we, we understand that pain mm-hmm. or that sense of hopelessness or loss and stuff like that. Um, He he was like a fucking rock star. How could he not go out like that? You know. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like it's it's depressing. It's fucking awful that someone like at the peak of their shit did what he did. But at the same time, it's like yeah, the whole fucking series. Like that's what drew me to him uh, when I first started watching No Reservations. Like even before I found out that you know his favorite bands fucking the Ramones and (laughs) he was a staple of like the New York you know, punk and hardcore scene and shit was just like, it's like, damn, this dude's a fucking punk rocker. Like if I've ever seen one. Um, so it's like, of course that makes sense. That's how he's going to go out. That's how a lot of them do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, this, I thought it was a brilliant portrayal of a person that it didn't, it didn't try to shine him and make him look like this hero. Mm-hmm. It seemed like it was pretty fairly even-handed with his faults and flaws mm-hmm. as well as his successes. And as far as documentaries go, that seems to be very logical approach. Usually mm-hmm. in like biops, it's never the case. You know, no, it's always never. this glowing review. And mm-hmm. you have to add in a little bit of life difficulty to give them a little bit of character color, but then you bring them back up to hero status. I don't feel like mm-hmm. that was the way this was approached. Yeah, no, this seemed, even though it's it was all created by people that were close friends of his, like, it did feel like an unbiased look at, you know, his life and, it, like, his later life and his struggles. Mm-hmm. Like, that was one thing I kept taking away from it is, um, you know, like you said earlier, it showed that he was pretty close to the personality that we all knew and loved from the shows. Um, but the thing I felt that it really brought was just showing just how vulnerable he is. Yeah. Um, especially with like the earlier stuff, like the life of a cook and, you know, before no reservations and all that, just showing how like shy and timid he was. Mm-hmm. I really liked it when the, the original, um, producers were like, you know, we, we'd give him lines to read and you could tell sequ- sequentially <laughs> yeah. each episode after he'd be like, what the hell is this shit? And then you just <laughs> rewrite everything. So yeah. at, least, at least then he could be authentic in, in his portrayal, even if it's going to, you know, because he, he had an imposter syndrome. Like, he just lived with that. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who doesn't live with that, to be honest. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, unless you're just a dark, just an insane narcissist, I think everyone in their life at some point feels like they they're just don't deserve the praise or they don't deserve mm-hmm. what they have or, you know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, it makes perfect sense that that's how he felt in the mm-hmm. way he acted and he was so self-effaced like he he was honest and he, he made jokes on his own behalf and you know he didn't try to present himself as this icon that so many people actually saw him as myself included mm-hmm. you know he was always just so down to earth and gritty and one of the things that they were saying in in the reviews and one thing that the documentary and documentarian had made note of after he performed all those interviews was that Everyone who met him immediately felt like 
he was their best friend because mm. he was so genuine and just straight with you. He didn't he didn't pull punches. He didn't pretend. He was just like, this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be. And that that's not like best friends and hey, let's always go chum. And sometimes that's best friends like, fuck, are we going to top ourselves tonight? Like, this is <laughs> fuck. You know, I mean, that's just that's who he was. And I thought yeah. that little opening snippet that I played at the very beginning where um, that guy's like, yeah, I think you have really good karma. He's like, you do? He's like, <laughs> right. well. <laughs> it's like, he's, we're fucked. I don't yeah. know what the fuck's going to happen. You're going to be a Yorkie. I'm going to be a sea cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which one's worse? I can't even tell. I would probably say sea cucumber. Yeah. Depending on the home that the Yorkie goes to. That's true. It's like, if it's a Yorkie that came to my house, yeah, that's a life I want to live. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could have Anthony Bourdain next. Get a Yorkie. <laughs> um, I I liked uh, um, what Zachary said here, noticing it after the fact, now that you know it's real. Yeah, I think that's how I saw it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, well, that, you know, now in my memory, I'm noticing that he was that that obvious with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, it, it follows his life and career. Um, let's see. At the age of 61 is when he passed, or he, he took his life in France on location for a CNN show called Parts Unknown. Um, the title is actually taken from a song by the Modern Lovers, which appears at the opening of the film. Um, let's see, I don't, I don't know any other. Oh, so the the controversy of this. Oh yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> How are we just now getting to that? Jesus, I know. So. <laughs> There's actually two controversies, only one that I brought up. The second one I'll, 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 we'll lead with because it's not as big. But mm-hmm. at the very end, when the guy's like, you know, I should go destroy a mural because that's what Anthony would want me to do or he would get a laugh out of me doing it or something like that. Um, the mural that they defaced was actually created so that they could deface it. It wasn't an existing oh, mural. That's fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. That they just walked across the street and saw, and they're like, oh, fuck that mural. The, you know, it was a staged event. But it, it's the statement that's being made, not in the way I'm interpreting it. The statement is more important than the reality of it in some cases. Yeah, of course. So, so I appreciated that moment of it, even though it is pretty shitty to lead the audience on as if it were an actual <laughs> mural. Yeah. That, like, that seemed like a big fucking deal. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously it, it didn't feel spontaneous at all, Yeah, but it's like, like it was cool. And now it's like, Oh, well that's fucking lame. <laughs> well, that's like, not why, all. Why do the buildup? Yeah. Why not yeah. just have like the voiceover of what he was saying? Like, Oh, he'd be so pissed if he was running down a beach, let's destroy something. <laughs> and just, like not have him like drive there and cut his hair to do it, but just like him do it like that. that I, I think that would have been a lot cooler. Yeah. Now knowing that it's, uh, it was staged. Fun, staged. Yeah. But that's not the only thing. Okay. So the, here's, here's one that we're going to be facing this for our entire lives and everyone else that comes after us. That was never a thing before yeah. um, just because of technology, like it wasn't a mm. thing when we were kids, you know, this, yeah. like, I mean, really? Elvis, you don't remember, like, the mid to late 90s where there was a whole bunch of, like, brand new Elvis shit coming out? I mean, people were, like, doing remixes of his tracks. but what No, do you like, mean? even, like, uh, uh, there was... Oh, fuck. Of course, I, I was thinking about it earlier, and I should have actually had the reference point, but there was, like, uh, songs where they added lines and shit. Um, and, of course, I can't think of it. So, oh, whatever, fuck me. Let's. Do... I did not know that. Yeah. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> okay well now i'm mad because that's messed up um i'm okay with it in this context but anyway let, let's talk about what the controversy mm-hmm. is so um they actually used artificial intelligence to reproduce anthony bourdain's voice to read some of the lines that anthony bourdain wrote mm-hmm. so they weren't having him say anything that he did not write but they did create his voice to read lines that he had written but had never spoken aloud on record before and so people were freaking out that this was um, uh, an ethical dilemma that, that should never be done, especially in a documentary. Like in a film, there's a little more leeway because it's all about the fantastical vision and it's not so much about the reality. But this is also coming from a place where documentaries are perspectives developed by the producers, not true reality. 
And that's, that's something that I'm not entirely sure everyone understands that there's no such thing as like a true reality. There's just your subjective experience mm -hmm. of reality. And so well, the thing is like it, my thought behind it is like, it, fuck off anybody that's crying about it. It's shit that he wrote. So it's not like they're having him say like just dumb off the wall shit for shock value or, you know, camp. Like it's lines that he fucking wrote. This is shit that like, they're just doing what they can to give, that message a voice yeah i think it's fine but i mean i'm also somebody that has gone to concerts and seen like you know dead singers get up on stage and do a number with the band before the new singer comes out and i'm fine with shit like that like as long as it's done tastefully yeah you know like the way guar did it <laughs> <laughs> um or like I'm not familiar with that oh yeah the 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 tour after uh, Dave Brocky died, first song was him coming out and singing it and then getting kidnapped. And then the rest of the show was them trying to rescue him. Oh, wow. It, that, that shit, that fucking made me cry. <laughs> Jeez, okay. Yeah, that's pretty harsh. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just a, a, like his, the, the producer said that he had gotten all approval from the previous marriage in order to you know have him sit the the executive um uh estate holder mm -hmm. to do this and then octavia busia his ex-wife who's the executor of his estate said no <laughs> i never approved anything mm. like at all so it it does it gives me a little bit of a dirty feeling that mm -hmm. Again, it's all for a greater context, and so f with that in mind, I don't, I don't necessarily mind it. I feel like I would kind of be pissed, and just by extension, I would imagine that Bourdain would kind of be pissed that they did that. You know, he's like, I maybe maybe he didn't say it out loud for a reason. Maybe he didn't have it recorded for a reason because yeah. I know I've I've got. I got some shit on my computer that I've written that I will <laughs> never say out loud, and I will like never. Like what? Well, let's an example. <laughs> let me let me read this. No, like I'll you know I go sometimes when I'm like in sort of my bad places I'll just go on these you know rants in on on in documents, mm -hmm. and you know when I'm gone if my wife wants to scrub through all my insane ramblings then that's fine but if she like sold it to someone who like made my voice on it or someone read it out loud to other people or it was presented to the public, that's shitty. <laughs> like no. You know, I don't want people hey, knowing. Shana, we shouldn't do that when he's gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me watch this film a couple more times and I'll be gone. <laughs> It'll be enough for me. God, I know. <laughs> this This is one I'm going to watch again, but I think I I definitely have like a really long refractory period. Like this yeah. shit, it has stuck with me since last night. I'm still fucking filling this documentary. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was like a two-day thing for me where I was like, okay, now I, now I got to stop thinking about it because I'm starting to kind of obsess over the idea a little bit. Mm -hmm. I just keep flashing back to all these shows that he did in Asia, um, the great region of Asia, because I don't remember mm -hmm. the individual places in there, um, mm -hmm. where he was just eating these crazy like meals, and then he would talk about how he just laid in his hotel room for the next night and day to recover. And he was, it was just him drinking in the hotel and how he needs to get his drink in a control. And mm -hmm. I was just like, fuck locked up in a hotel room in East Asia alone with nothing but booze. Yeah. That's a healthy brain. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's like, I mean, a, that sounds great. Vietnam like veteran <laughs> story. That's not a fucking television show host. Right. <laughs> I it's, thought it was pretty apt that they kept throwing in references to um, Apocalypse Now. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's another yeah. thing. Yeah. And then they tried to, like, relive some of those scenes with footage of the shows and stuff. Like, recreate a little bit of them. I don't know. I, I mean, ultimately, I, I mean, I cried throughout the entire second half of the film, and I truly loved it and i i think he is a phenomenal was a phenomenal human being and mm -hmm. i think it sucks that he's gone and but who the fuck am i to say that someone should be around or not you know i, I yeah. can barely keep my shit together <laughs> someone else's right 
So I don't know. What what did you think of the the, the whole thing? You know, in the end, like, what was your? Did you have any like, like reflecting said, takeaways? Just like I went into it after having spoke to you uh, about watching it. And being like, oh, God, all right, so it's going to be me crying the whole time. My wife's probably going to be crying the whole time because she even said that she didn't want to watch it because that's what was going to happen. And then, yeah, the whole time it's like it was it was sad as hell, but the only thing I kept thinking was, like, fuck, man, I get it. Like, I want to just be, like, distraught and devastated and be like, no, he shouldn't do it. But it's like, you know, what would I do in his situation? Yeah. And that's that's the thing that, <laughs> that's fucking me up the most about it. Yeah, it gets a little too personal, a little too real. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think the the greatest thing I took from it was something that as a Satanist I've always sort of reflected on, and it's this idea of the different personas that you project as an individual depending on mm -hmm. who you're talking to or what you're doing. And I'm sure there's people who watch the stupid stuff that I do that are like, yeah, I, I have a pretty good solid understanding of who. Campbell is, you know, who Adam is. Mm. But I bet you're wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because this is a, a truth of who I am, but it's certainly not mm -hmm. who I am. You know, when you want to distill me down to, to the bare bones of, of, of what makes me tick and stuff. And mm -hmm. so, you know, using that as a guide to try to dissect who Anthony Bourdain was or who anyone is, you can't just take what they say and what they do as as truth or as real because everyone is manipulating their persona either consciously or subconsciously you know i mean sometimes we do it to protect ourselves because we've been you know abused emotionally or physically um sometimes it's just because we don't we're we're scared about being mm. who we truly genuinely are and sometimes yeah, as satanists we use lesser magic and we we're intentionally deceiving so that you as the target will then go along, you know, more willingly with whatever we're proposing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, I'd like to think that I know who you are and we've spent a lot of time with each other over the years and in person and on camera like this. Mm. Um, we've done a lot of goofy shit together. I still don't think I really know your mind, you know? <laughs> And yeah, I don't even think I do, so it's cool. <laughs> oh, good. I'm not the yeah, only one. Yeah, mental illnesses. <laughs> and then there, that's the other part of it, is that... Is there a baseline underneath the illnesses that, you know, many of us try our best to manage? Or is that illness a part of that baseline? You know, is it obscuring who we are or is it literally just simply a part of who we are? And I struggle with that notion. I've never even really considered that, to be honest. Like, what do you think now? <laughs> like, well, I mean, it's just uh, it's always I mean, of course, of course, like you only know your own experiences. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the solipsistic part of me is just like, oh, well, yeah, obviously that's that's who I am. Like, I am what is wrong with me even though it's, you know, chemical imbalances and all that shit, that's literally what makes me up. So that's just what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it is interesting because th there is, I think there's difference. So there's a little bit of difference for someone who has natural chemical imbalances just by the chaos of being born and regional mm -hmm. and parents and stuff. And then the external stimulus that causes those, disorders to arise so i think there's a difference between those two you know like yeah. um um like my father was a, an alcoholic and ended up killing him so i always ask myself was he an alcoholic because he had this disorder you know this disease that he suffered from you strip the disease away is there someone there that was being hidden that was being obscured or is there now going to be a hole where that disease used to be. And I know I'm, 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 I'm communicating it in this very sort of cut black and white two-dimensional way, but I'm just trying to, I'm trying to illustrate it so I can, you know, speak to the idea of it. So I'm hoping mm -hmm. you guys are, are picking up what I'm putting down. Because yeah. I know it's infinitely more complex than that. But I, I do kind of think that we are chemical machines. That's it. And so if our chemistry is causing disorders then that is you 
Mm-hmm. Like there's, you can't fix that. If you start taking pills to try to readjust your chemistry, what are you readjusting to? And then who are you on those pills? It's yeah. this constant struggle with me because ultimately as Satanists, we are very different. We think different, we act different and mm-hmm. from each other even. So you know, this is oh, the whole idea of, of individual weirdness, but what even are we trying to get to? What normal are we trying to get to? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then the reason, one of the many exacerbating realities that people with chemical imbalances have to come to terms with or don't and just suffer through it is that there is no such thing as a normal. And so all you're doing is chasing someone else's idea of what normal should be, mm-hmm. thereby just trying to keep your head above water and never truly knowing who and what you actually are. And right. so in that fog of reality, it's no wonder why so many people you know, lose it and, and take their lives mm-hmm. or, or go crazy. And I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, and fuck bringing it back to the movie. Like that's literally one of the the talking points of the documentary was him just desperately wanting to have a normal life yeah. and then having glimpses of it, but not knowing whether that's actually what it is or if he's pretending and you know, how the hell does he hold on to it? Yeah. This is just, it's turning into this, this <laughs> view of reality for me that I'm, I'm you know, I've always struggled with this idea of it because we're all of our parents and their parents and even us to some degree reflect on a time of, of innocence because we were children. We thought it was innocent. And so we mm-hmm. reflect on this good old days mentality that never actually was good old days, but that's how we see yeah. it because we're out of it now. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with this idea of this normal, like I shouldn't have to go through all these hard things. This isn't normal. I shouldn't behave this way. It's not normal. They shouldn't be doing that. That's not normal. Well, what the fuck is normal? Right. <laughs> I would argue that all of that is a hundred percent normal, or else it wouldn't be fucking happening. Like, yeah, we're we're not like automatons that are just going through life like lost toys. I, I don't know. I didn't make that that Toyland connection enough that I had in my head when I made that comment, and I just have to comment that that's where I was trying to go with it, and it didn't work. I got you. I got you. <laughs> weird all right um this got a 7.7.9 out of 10 stars on imdb so far it is 92 percent certified fresh on rotten tomatoes with a 94 percent audience score and i think that is probably a little bit low <laughs> i 100 percent disagree with the ratings like yeah. i i feel like the people that gave the negative review reviews on this just wanted to be assholes because like i mean why didn't you like it did it make you think about shit did it break down one of your idols did you make you realize that everybody's fucking weak and everybody has a tipping point like why would you poo poo on this it was a beautiful film yeah. we got it was exactly what it should have been it was an insight on a man's life that yeah, we've all known for decades. And then, like, fuck, it, it, ah, I can't even talk right now. <laughs> it was so good. What is wrong with you? Yeah. That you didn't like it. I did see one of the reviews said, I didn't learn anything new about him. Bullshit. What didn't you? Oh, apparently you that person studied his life and knew everything because I learned some new things. Yeah, same. And it's like, this is somebody I've been watching for. It, fuck like what 20 years almost yeah like shit i learned plenty of new things (laughs) yeah it's it's pretty wild um but either way i don't know what was your favorite part of the film can there be a favorite part what was your favorite part of this depressing film um definitely the early years (laughs) um because i mean we get little glimpses in it or of him younger in a lot of the older shows um, like a little bit of like flashback type stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely seeing hit like the whole start when he's, you know, Oh fuck. I've just hit number seven on the yeah. New York bestsellers list. And I'm on my way to work to fucking order some food so I can make shit tonight. 
uh, like I, I really did enjoy that. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd have to say that's probably my favorite bit. I love that opening line where he was uh, standing outside of his restaurant. He's like, where's the fish guy? The fish guy just didn't <laughs> yeah. show up. How can people just not show up? This is why cooks want to kill themselves because <laughs> the rest of the world does not run the way our, we run our kitchens, you know? Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> I totally understand you now. Um, yeah, I, that early footage was my favorite part too because that was his original high school sweetheart wife that I never knew existed. Uh, yep, it was same. watching him write, which, like, that's a, an era that my entire exposure to him was after he was already doing no reservations. So, mm -hmm. no reservations. So, yep. um, seeing that early sort of behind the scenes footage and just realizing that this is a grown man at the beginning of his career. Like, yeah. He was this sort of misfit who just happened to work in, in restaurants because they're the only people that would hire him because he was a punk. Like, mm -hmm. that was it. And then it turned into a chef job, and it turned into him shitting on the industry that gave him a chance, and that yeah. turned into a career. So, like, I don't know. I, I thought that was a, a beautiful statement that it doesn't matter where you are in your life right around the corner you can define an entire new trajectory at any time mm -hmm. and kill yourself at the end of it <laughs> yeah i mean whatever you're gonna have a great fucking ride beforehand oh, man. <laughs> yeah have some to look forward to people <laughs> what was your least favorite part of this film uh the lead up to the end man like it's because you know what happens like you don't yeah. watch this movie and not know what happens but it just, I mean, God, it was like 30 minutes of them building it up to the point where it's like, just fucking do it already. <laughs> uh, like, the suspense was killing me. Like, how are they going to do it? How are they going to tie this in? And and then just watching, you know, the moment when everybody's like, you know, the, the director, whoever's doing the interview is like, hey, so he died. What did you think after that? Yeah. And, yeah, it's like. Especially like being through shit like that, even recently, it's just like, man, that fucking that's a shitty spot to be in. Yeah, I, I, I'm so glad they didn't do like a funeral scene or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I was terrified that they were going to do that. My, one of the my least favorite experiences in all of life is walking up on a casket of a friend. Mm -hmm. There is nothing that fucks me up and terrorizes me more than that. And yeah, I was so so pleased that they didn't show that yeah I, I can honestly say there's only like one celebrity documentary that i've ever seen where it was okay that the funeral was in it yeah. and that's hated because that's pretty funny <laughs> but like yeah that's that's the kind of shit you don't need to have that yeah. in there yeah um i don't know why i brought that up at this time because that wasn't my least favorite i'm glad that wasn't in it um i I don't know that I had a least favorite for this. I really enjoyed this film. Like, mm. aside from the emotional stuff, aside from, you know, it just being someone that I'm a huge fan of and getting to hear from people who were close to him about him, mm. me getting to learn more about his past and his trajectory and the, and the, the story of his life. I think that the fakeness of that final mural is probably got to be the least favorite. Yeah, that's, that's true. I'm going to take that back. That was... Yeah. Like that should that that's some shit they should have taken to their fucking graves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. that changes the the closing scene. Um. All right. Well, let's talk ratings. What did you give this thing? Ah, just straight up fucking four bananas. Four bananas all around. Like, you, get bananas. you get a banana. You get a banana. You get a banana. Not you though. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Just God, it was great. It's like I love documentaries. I am a big big documentary fan yeah. um and this is definitely going to be in the top uh i'd say probably like top five it yeah so it was done. it was really good i highly recommend this to to anyone who is a fan of bourdain or his work mm -hmm. and if you just like documentaries about the human experience and and how how fame or success does not equate happiness mm -hmm. it never has it's something that we all are told does and we all strive for in varying degrees most people do but it never never brings you happiness oh yeah and it's just such a weird dichotomy mm -hmm. we fight for the one thing 
in order to achieve something that we'll never achieve by fighting for that thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's brought up so well with uh, the singer of Queens of the Stone Age, like when he was talking about it and, you know, the whole itch of, you know, when you're on the road, you want to be home. And then as soon as you get home, you got to be back on the road. So, yeah, you know what? And I loved him so much more for having that guy. He did a Christmas special with them. Mm -hmm. And they come from one of my old school favorite bands, Caius, real stoner rock, California band. Mm -hmm. I love it. I'm so stoked that he was, he was in that documentary. Yes, Zachary, four nanners certified. That means you need to fucking rent it tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And then take those bananas and put them. All right. Uh, let's get to the Kenzies. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do that before we say some shit. <laughs> before we are totally kicked off this platform. Um, yeah. All right, so do you have any like horror things that are happening that you're excited about, or just movies in general? I just fu- fucking Candyman. We finally get to see it. Like holy <laughs> fuckballs. Like so I excited. have been dying. Ever since, well, okay, so admittedly when I first heard about it, I was kind of like, meh, fuck <laughs> this. And then the, and I don't like to call it a, a trailer because it's not a fucking trailer. It's a short film. But the the Shadow Puppets yeah. trailer, that drop, oh my God, I was, mm-hmm. I was fucking sold right then and there. Like, give me this fucking movie. Yeah. And then, of course, the pandemic and all that bullshit. But it's finally coming out. That's what we're doing Sunday. This weekend. God this damn. This damn weekend. I cannot wait. It it has to be good. So if this it's it, not. I'm gonna fight somebody. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> you start punching each other in the face and yeah. dick. Why Probably. does I suck? <laughs> <laughs> I blame you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's approached as a spiritual successor. It does have actors reprising their roles from the original Candyman film. Um, mm. I don't know about the second one, Herald of Flesh, but. I I think it's just going to be a spiritual sequel to the original. Because, I mean, that's what everybody's doing nowadays anyways. So why would they even mention, you know, Farewell to the Flesh or Part 3? Because admittedly, those movies don't even really tie in with the first one. Yeah, they're just lesser than. But the first one was great. Yeah. It still holds up. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it still holds up. It's still creepy. It's still scary. It's still beautiful. Mm -hmm. Music's great. Cinematography's great. The acting's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's not great. But it's okay. <laughs> it was it was of the time. Yeah, it was <laughs> definitely a nineties movie. That's for damn sure. But I loved it. Um yeah, so that that's gonna be great. I'm super stoked. I, I finally finished brand new cherry flavor, and now I'm insane about the next season that I'm hoping they're gonna green light because it was so good. Yeah, we'll so... see though, because it's Netflix. Yeah. They're they're notorious for that shit. Yeah. I did pick up the book, though, so I'm going to read the book anyway, so I don't care. Um, even if they don't, I still have all the imagery of the uh, the movie to, to carry me forward to many, many lonesome moments. <laughs> so, using myself. Kind of an aside. Do you prefer to see the movie or the series before you read the book or vice versa? I think before. I do think before because I. I tend to get bummed when I fall in love with a book and the movie doesn't live up to it. Mm-hmm. Cause then I'm just like, ah, oh, it could have been so much better. But if I see the film first and just, or the series and appreciate it for what it is. And then I go back and read the book. It's usually better. Mm-hmm. And so it's a net positive. It just, what I liked before is now better. So yeah. Same. That's how I prefer to do it too. So it's like, if it sucks, then, oh, oh, this book sucks. Oh, whatever. At least I got the show. Yeah. But if the show sucks, because that's a commitment going through a series, even if it's like a you know, a limited series, that's yeah. still like hours. Yeah. I mean, it's like and, yeah. it's like eight or nine episodes and they're each 45 minutes. Like you're mm-hmm. you're putting time in. Mm-hmm. This is like a trilogy of films plus. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's great. And then um, I've, I've read a whole bunch of really good reviews about slasher films flesh and blood on shutter and they're releasing mm-hmm. new episodes every tuesday or thursday like that um so i'm we're gonna be diving into that tonight like as soon nice. as we're done here and i'm really looking forward to that i oh, there's yeah. something about horror short series that it's like a hit or miss you know mm-hmm. if they're just not good you feel like you were just like raped 
Like, you're just like, oh, I feel so dirty, and I hate myself, and I hate the world, and I don't want to go outside anymore. I hate shadows and stairwells. But if it's, like, oddly specific, I had an, I had an experience. <laughs> but if it's, like, great, then, you you know, like, Channel Zero, even the bad ones were good. My God. Yeah, even the bad ones, you're like, fuck yeah, I'll watch this shit. Yeah, it was so good. Ugh. So I'm hoping this is going to hold up because I need something good. I've, I've, mm. I've, we've been, I'm like ashamed to say we've been watching just Survivor. <laughs> like nothing else <laughs> until brand new cherry flavor came along. I was just like, let's just watch another Survivor episode and then just crash after. That's pretty much my only television is uh, Impractical Jokers. So I understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually learned to really love that on on Man Camp. That was a great yeah, tune. It's, it's a great fucking show. Um, is there anything else? That trip. Anything else you want to talk about here? No, nah, I think that, that's that's pretty much it. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in live. We really appreciate your time and attention. And I swear, dog, I swear we will do some of those uh, suggestions because they are really great. We are, and yeah. We're getting to it. I promise. <laughs> we were this close to doing an Evil Dead. Oh such bullshit live group watch and then i realized that it wasn't free yeah we were a week away <laughs> it, it was gonna happen and yeah. yeah bullshit yeah i oh sons of anarchy is that soa because i enjoyed that when it was out but i bring into it like yeah. a whole peggy bundy actor actress thing yeah that's where i i had a real hard time trying to carry on with that show oh really i just it's the first season it's because they're Shit. white. Isn't it? It's always the first season. It's because they're white. I mean, <laughs> I I love Peggy Bundy, but yeah, it was. It was like, I really it, like her as an actress. I do. Yeah, like, she's fucking fantastic. She's, just, she's, she's um, uh, Katie Segal. There we go. Katie Segal. Yeah. She's yeah. gold. Everything she does is gold. Absolutely. That woman could beat me about the head and shoulders, and it would be wonderful. <laughs> Hopefully, it didn't end there, <laughs> or maybe it started somewhere else, and that's where it ended, and that would be okay too. Yeah, but. Either way. All right. Thank you guys so much. I hope you have a fantastic week. And uh, I don't know when we're going to do another one of these. This is like um, you know, whenever we can type thing. Whenever we yeah. have time. We we both have a lot of stuff going on in our lives. And, you know, we try. <laughs> what do you want? Uh, if you have any suggestions, email them to info at reverendcampbell.com or put them in the chat or in the live chat there, the comments below. Whatever. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Sign up to the email list to find out when we're going to be doing these next. And until next time, hail Satan, everyone. Hail Satan. You know what I didn't have? I didn't What's have that? a contest question. Are we going to do ah. a contest? Well, fuck, now we're on the spot. I can't think of anything. Okay. Okay, hold on. Oh, my God. It's talking about martyrs. Yes. What? <laughs> oh, wait, are we talking the, the show the or the movie? What is movie. that? It's, uh, it's a movie. William DePaul. It's uh some shit. <laughs> oh really? I have to check that out. Alright, well here's the contest. Give me every film that the director of Roadrunner has created so far in the comments below, and the first person will win a special cash prize. So uh put it in there. If you get it wrong, you don't get anything. You don't get no side <laughs> vagina or anything. 